Today we're going to start by looking at Acts 2, 46. So there should be some Bibles on your table, or look it up on your phone, so Acts 2, verse 46. And if you have a Bible and you don't know where Acts is, have a look in the contents page. There's a page at the front of the Bible. We paid for that page when we bought these Bibles. So don't feel any embarrassment looking for that, for where it is. Because sometimes I'm like, oh, where's that book in the Bible? I can't remember. I'm trying to find it. And use the contents page, it's easier. And so yeah, Acts 2, verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Let me read that again. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So this is talking about the early church and today we're going to be looking at gathering large and gathering small. So, looking at that, they gather together every day in the temple court. So, from now on, guys, we're going to gather every morning at 7.30 here, okay? Are we up for that? Yeah? <laughs> yes, go, mate. We're not. I'm joking. This is obviously prescriptive, not prescriptive. We're not, this is not a command that we have to live by, but it's just explaining what the early church did. And I wonder, though, would we be prepared to meet every morning together at 7.30? I don't know. <laughs> Um, so we're going to start by looking at what it means to gather in large groups so like why, why do we gather here on a Sunday morning together and what did it look like for the early, early disciples in the book of Acts we know that the disciples and we know that Jesus were Jews and they were in the habit of meeting in the temple courts that was something they did every day so they continued to do that they were encouraged to continue to do that even once they put their faith in Jesus. It wasn't unusual to meet in the temple courts. And they did this because I believe they wanted to tell those others in the, in the Jewish community about Jesus and about him being who he said he was. Let's have a look at what uh, Simon Peter says at the beginning of Acts 2. So, if we could all turn to Acts 2, and we'll read, I'll read this and we'll go through it together. And it's um, Acts 2 from verse 22. So let's have a look at what this says. Acts 2, verse 22. So just to set the scene, this is just after Pentecost and the disciples and the apostles have been filled with the Holy Spirit. They've encountered the Holy Spirit and they've been filled with it and they're bold. They're, they're, they're full of... of his love and his power and they start speaking in all these languages to those around them start sharing the gospel to those around them in languages they didn't even know and people are in amazement and they're just astonished by what's happening and, that's, and then Simon Peter gets up and, and shares these words we're going to read in a moment but let's remember that Simon Peter a few weeks earlier was the one that denied Jesus three times he denied him three times and then after Jesus died on the cross, the disciples went into hiding. They were fearful of what was going to happen to them after their king died. So what changed? What changed from Peter denying Jesus three times? And what changed from them being in hiding and being scared for their lives? Well, we know, wasn't it? They encountered the risen Jesus. They met him. They touched his side. They touched his hands. And they were completely changed because... Instead of their king being dead and buried, he was dead and he was risen to new life. And 
that boldness from the Holy Spirit then leads Simon Peter to read these, speak these words to those that are around him in, a, in, in, a, in listening to them. And it says, from verse 22, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man accredited, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as yourselves know. So these Jews knew, they knew about the, the miracles that Jesus had done. They knew about it. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And now I'm going to move on to verse 32, a bit further down. It says, God has raised this Jesus to life. And we, talking about the apostles and the disciples, were all witnesses of this fact. So he's talking that we saw him, we encountered him, the risen Jesus. Where were we? Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So the Holy Spirit was in Jesus and he filled them with the Holy Spirit. And now, now straight away they're saying, you can experience this too. You can have the Holy Spirit poured out on you if you put your trust in Jesus. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, Lord, the, sorry, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured that this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In some translations it says, Lord and Messiah. He is the long-awaited Messiah that they have been waiting for for hundreds of years. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Can you imagine? So they might have been some of those who were with, uh, there with Pontius Pilate shouting, crucify, crucify, and to Pontius Pilate. They, they might have been the ones that had seen the miracles but had been persuaded not to believe that he was the Messiah. But when Simon Peter stands up boldly, full of the Holy Spirit, they're suddenly cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all who are far away from God. He draws near. For you, for all whom the Lord has, our God, will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing bit of scripture, and how Peter was so bold in proclaiming the gospel there. So,
this is kind of the beginning of the church. This is the beginning of Simon Peter's um, preaching and teaching. And uh, that message hasn't changed, has it, for 2,000 years? Believe in Jesus, repent and put your trust in him. And today we still want to teach that. We still want to proclaim that message that for those who are far away from Christ, he receives you if you ask for forgiveness for your sins. He will forgive you of your sins and purify you from that unrighteousness and fill you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a sign that we are made new, new creations in him. And when we fill the Holy Spirit, that gives us the ability to have that peace in the midst of persecution, to have joy when life isn't going the way we want it to, to know that others that maybe we struggle to get along with, we can love, to love our enemies as Christ calls us to do, to do that. We can't do that in our own strength, but with the Holy Spirit, we're able to. So this, like I say, is the beginning of the, of the church. And it says 3,000 people. That's a big group that he stood up and spoke to. 3,000 people he got up and spoke to were added to their number that day. And there's, there's still 3,000 people, 3,000 Christians in the world today. No, it's a few more than that, a, couple, a smidge more than that, isn't it? Um, we have millions upon millions of people that follow Christ with their lives every day. Because it's gone, it's spread. This good news has spread across the world. Through God's church, they've gone and spread his message of forgiveness and reconciliation to God. I just want to say, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and you might have that little inkling in your heart or that little burning in my heart this might be true that this Jesus who died and rose again to forgive me for my sins is real and he is who he says he is and suddenly today if, if you're here and you don't know that to be true but you're thinking oh, this, this, there's something just pressing on your heart come and speak to me after I'd love to talk to you and pray with you if that's something that you are curious about or, or are just suddenly thinking about that you want to learn more about who he is Come and speak to me after I'd love to talk to you. I love it. I like this quote um, from Pastor Luis Diaz. It says, The church that we see in the New Testament is dynamic. Never a prisoner of buildings. We see the, the church meeting in the temple, in the synagogue, in the streets, beside the sea, in public places, often in homes. Acts describes a community of faith in constant movement. It appears that meetings were daily and definitely not monotonous. Worship, communion, prayer, working for mutual edification, giving testimony of what Christ has done and taking care of the needs of the poor were not part of special programs, but just everyday life. So going back to our passage for today, Acts 2 verse 46. We see the second half says, they broke bread in each other's homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Jez a few weeks ago taught about communion and why we break bread together. So I'm not going to go into that now, but have a listen online if you haven't listened to that. It was a really nice time together when we did that. So we see that they broke bread together. Sorry, we see that they met together in temple courts, but also they broke bread together in each other's homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And um, we we know that um, the early believers often 
moved their day of worship from the Saturday, the Sabbath, to the Sunday. And some commentators say that this was because that was Resurrection Day. That was a day that Jesus rose from the dead. And it, that would have been a work day for them, so they often would meet in the evenings to, to, to do that, to, to break bread together, to eat together, to be in each other's homes. So today is Resurrection Day. This is a day that we can celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. We don't have to wait till Easter. We can celebrate this today. It is good news, isn't it? Amen? It's good news. So we've learned some of the basic principles of what the early church did, um, just through this one little verse. But what does that mean for us here at Second City? We want to remember that as a church, we want to, it isn't just about being here for two hours on a Sunday. It, the church isn't a building, is it? And especially this building isn't known as a church, but it's the people. We are the people of God. We are the church. And for Second City, we want to be those who do the, the majority of life together, not just on a Sunday, but through the week as well. And how we do that, and many of you will know, is through our missional communities. So what is a missional community, I hear some of you asking. Um, so I'm going to just cover a little bit of that. And then we're going to do a little Bible study together around our tables, looking at Romans 12. So our missional communities is where we really want the life of the church to happen. And so far, they've maybe not been as intimate or as tight-knit as we hoped because of going through two years of a pandemic. I mean, I did a church planting residency before the pandemic and there was no syllabus on church planting during a pandemic. That wasn't one of the chapters in our residency. I was like, that was a mistake. Eh? So uh, I better add that now from now on. But, um, but the Lord sustained us, hasn't he, through these last two years. We planted in January 2020. And we want our missional community to be at the heart of our, of our church. So being a part of the missional community encompasses generous hospitality. So we want to be those who spend time together in each other's homes, serving one another, eating together. Most of our missional communities meet at least one time a week to eat together and spend time together in the Word and in prayer and in worship. And often when we eat together around the table, that is a time where a lot of discipleship happens, isn't it? A lot of pastoral care happens for one another because we're just enjoying food together. We open up how our week's been. We want to do life together. We want to be those who serve one another in the everyday things of life, practically, but also we want to serve those who... Uh, we want to serve each other in if we have need or just socialise together. That's something we want to do as a missional community. We want to be those who celebrate we have a lot to celebrate, don't we? The resurrection, like I said, but we have, when, when we see people come to know Christ, that is a wonderful celebration when people are baptised. We want to celebrate those things. We want to celebrate birthdays, weddings. All these things we want to celebrate together. Births in our church. And our missional communities want to be on mission. Funny that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, our missional communities, we want to have a mission focused to each of our communities. And that's up to each community to decide how they do that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But let's see what the Bible says about how we are to live life together. So we're going to spend the next sort of 10-15 minutes around your tables um, studying Romans 12, 4-13. And, and let's be honest, Romans 12 is one of the 
That's a, I mean, it's all, the Bible's all good. But it's a wonderful passage, isn't it? And there's so much we could teach from this. And there's so many questions that we could draw from this passage. Just so many other things we haven't even touched on. Um, but I thought I'd just have a quick feedback from people if um, people have to do that. So, what does it mean? So, how does. Sorry, the first question we see in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians that we're part of one body. Um, so how does that affect how we treat one another within the church? Any ideas? What do people discuss? Or anybody have a our ideas? Don't have to? No problem? Any, any thoughts at all? Yeah. I think in relationship to we not fight or we fight this idea of are we talking about yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. I say by loving people and challenging that gifts are helpful for body. Yeah. Not putting a hierarchy over gifts, saying so no hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like for like whatever people do, whatever they can bring to the church, but also they're more than like gifts, but their gift is equally important. Yeah. So people are more than their gifts. The gifts are equal. So. It talks about serving, if you have a gift of serving. So, some of you guys are hoovering here this morning. That's equally as important as it is leading worship or speaking or whatever it means. That's still just as valuable. We're on a tidy floor. We're on a clean space to come work in. Do you know what I mean? That's just as valuable. Yeah, thank you, Arlen. Yeah. And thinking about that in a missional community context, when we think about the gifts that God's given us, like, let me give a practical example of that. So, this afternoon, some people in our missional community have a heart to reach the people on their streets. So they're doing an open home this afternoon. And they've invited others from our missional community to be a part of that, to come and be a part of the outreach to their street. And some of them in our missional community might be really gifted at sharing the gospel. They might be like, come really naturally. As soon as they meet somebody, they might be like, telling them about Jesus. I know that for a lot of other people, that's not the reality, is it? Your gifting might be making a cup of tea and making other people feel welcomed. And that's just as valuable. It's just as valuable to be those who prepare the food and serve the food. Because without that, people won't feel comfortable and welcomed into that home and want to hear somebody else talk about Jesus. You know, So, in a mission community, it's such a wonderful way that we can all have our own gifts and use them together to see God's kingdom come in this city, in our community. Okay. What about further down? Um, We'll go on to let's go on to question D. What does being devoted to one another in love? What does being devoted to one another in love mean? How do we live that out? So, any thoughts? What what do people think about that? If you got into that question, how how do we live that out and be devoted to one another in love? On the last table mentions a phrase I really like, which is you feel alongside your brothers and sisters. Okay. And that idea of, of sharing in the rejoicing, but also sharing in the grief, and, yeah. and actually being prepared to weep with people, yeah. stand alongside people. Yeah. So coming alongside our brothers and sisters in in times when in good times and also in difficult <laughs> times when we need to weep with one another and support one another. I really like this quote from Tim Keller, and it says, "To be loved." but not known is comforting but superficial 
So to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's how God loves us. And that's how we're called to love one another. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness and fortifies us for anything, any difficulty life can throw at us. Isn't that true? To be fully known and fully loved, that is our greatest desire. And I want to see that in our missional communities, to be those who deeply know one another so that we can deeply one, love one another. Like you say, Steve, like, can we, we don't just have to put on a face like, yeah, everything's great, I'm doing fine. <laughs> well, I've fallen apart, but we can actually be honest with each other because we're doing life together. And we see that in the everyday. We want to be able to yeah, share those difficulties and those good times and come around one another. Um, just a quick test. Oh, go on, sir. Absolutely, and isn't it amazing that the word explains what love is? Because in this day, in the, the, the world we live in today, we often hear love is love. But what does that mean, you know? But that passage ex- describes exactly what love is and, and that love that we are called to, to share with one another. And thank you, Sam. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and I don't know if you've gone to the last question, but hospitality is important, isn't it? And, and as a, again, as a missional community, we want to be those who show hospitality. I love food. I love eating food. So it's great when we get to enjoy food together. And like I said earlier, it's just a place where people feel able to share how their week's been and, and, and those incidental conversations you have around a table that you might not have if you just meet for a Bible study or you just meet for for other things. I um, also love the fact, I heard this recently, that eating is the only time where we do that God created us to use all five senses at once. I don't know if you've heard this, but you see the food and then you smell the food and then you take a bite and you taste it and it crunches so you hear it as well as feel it in your mouth or in your hands. I just think that's amazing that all five senses are used when we, when we eat. I think that's why I enjoy it so much, I don't know. But, um, yeah. So, yeah, just to conclude, really, um, like, God has given us all gifts and he wants us to use them for his kingdom, for his glory, to see his church across the world grow and for people to come to know him. And we want to do that in the context of missional communities and in the context of doing life together I just want to finish with these words from, from John 13, 34 to 35. 
A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So isn't that such a great call? But also, we want to invite those who don't know Jesus in to see that. I believe there is a lot of love here. I believe there's a lot of love for one another. But if, other, if people that don't know Jesus don't ever experience that or see that in the way that we live or in our homes or we don't invite them in to see that, they'll never see that love and they'll never know that we're his disciples because they won't experience it. So I want to encourage us to spend time with one another reach out and invite those who don't know Jesus into our lives to do life together with them and with one another. Let me just finish our time together in prayer. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word, to encourage one another in thinking about what it means to be, do life together, to, to, to use the gifts that you've given us to serve you with all of our hearts. Lord, we want to be those who love you more now than we did last year, to love you more next year than we do now. We want to be those who are growing in discipleship, growing in our understanding of who we are because of what you have done for us. And I pray, Lord, that we will be those who are passionate about telling others about you because you are the greatest news that there is to tell. You are the, the thing we, the one we celebrate, the resurrection, the new life we celebrate. And would we never forget that? Even in the tough times of life, even in the difficulties we find ourselves in, would we keep our eyes fixed on you and share those difficulties with one another? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um,